0: something like that, right? My um, beard is not nearly as large as Greg's, so sometimes this thing is like right out like that, so we got to adjust. So, uh, Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to One Life. If I didn't say it yet, my name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors today. Um, Greg is uh, doing something he's done the last few years now, serving all that dance. He's the MC every day for the last 48 hours basically for all the dances that happen and are prepared for the whole year and um, he does an amazing job it's been a really cool way for him to care for and serve our community and it's amazing how many people come up to him later throughout the year like hey you're that guy with the big red beard that was speaking at all that dance and uh it's always kind of fun so and brian and his family um just finishing school finally got a little break so they're not here so thanks for Sticking with us, with us all kind of juggling and filling in some gaps today on a, a day that is Father's Day, where we honor grads. It's Juneteenth. It's full. Lots of things. And um, I just want you to know how much we appreciate you on this day choosing to be with us, whether that's here in person. It's so great to see your faces, hear your voices. Um, those of you who are online, um, it is a, a pleasure that you could join us in that capacity as well. Um, we are continuing in our sermon series entitled Discipleship, Finding Our Way in Jesus, and um, if you haven't been with us over the last four weeks, we've covered a lot about the kind of rabbi-disciple relationship, and it's important that we hold on to these things as we look into what we're talking about today. Week one, we learned a lot of historical context about the rabbi-disciple relationship and how it predated Jesus. The rabbis were around before Jesus, and a rabbi was a master teacher or um, a kind of person who was so known for their application and wisdom with regards to the scripture and how we apply it and live it out. Um, they had incredible wisdom, and the ultimate goal of the day was for people of the day to um, become a disciple, a student, a learner, an apprentice of a rabbi. And we learned that a disciple wasn't like a student like we think about today. Um, To be a disciple of a rabbi, you were committing to completely rearrange your entire life around the rabbi in order to become like this teacher in every way and in every context of life for the rest of your life. It wasn't just about memorizing information, it wasn't like you had these flashcards, and if you could memorize all those, you were great. It wasn't like it was learning a trade, like how to build a house or anything like this, and then when you were done for the day, you were done. You were learning a way of life and how to apply it in every context, embodying the actual life of the rabbi 24-7, seven days a week. Then week two, we learned an important distinction for understanding the rabbi-disciple relationship, and that was that it was a very intimate and personal one. It wasn't like when we think of teachers, who there's that teacher, and we don't really have contact. They just dispense information, but we're not really having a relationship with them. No, in a rabbi-disciple relationship, it's intimate, personal. You're following a person, not rules, not policies and procedures, and you're following this person um, so that you are learning how to embody them and, be, and uh, live out their example. We saw that Jesus sees each and every one of us as a rabbi capable of being like him in every way. And as a result, Jesus personally invites each and every one of us, using the same language of the day for a rabbi, he says, come and follow me to be his disciples, his apprentice. And unlike the rabbis of the day, there were no tests. There was no prerequisites and requirements. um, You definitely didn't need to have all the answers or have it all figured out. All that was needed is for us to respond to the invitation to begin following Jesus and learning to be like Jesus as we go. And so for some of us, it's in our older age, we finally come to this place and we start. It's not like if you're 60 and you start following Jesus, you're expected to be just like someone who started 40 years ago and vice versa. It's an ongoing personal relationship as you go, learning how to be like Jesus. We learned that not knowing, uh, that knowing all of this, kind of this picture of the culture, helps us understand how those first disciples who were invited to come follow dropped drop everything and go follow him because at the time of the that they were around, that was the ultimate goal, and they had clearly not gotten to that place. No rabbi saw they were incapable. They were back to doing their family trade, so this was kind of an idea that had long since gone out of their mind, and Jesus invites them, and so it makes sense that they would drop everything and rearrange their life, because this was the ultimate. Jesus now, as a result, just like these disciples dropping everything in front these disciples, their identity changes because of this. They're no longer fishermen. They're disciples of Jesus. They're no longer school teachers. They're no longer... They're disciples of Jesus, and as a result... They are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, made in the image of God. And as a result, they're immersed and soaked and baptized into this, and it changes their identity. It helps them connect to their true gospel identity. And we learned last week that when we're, the first one of these was this idea that we're baptized in the name of the Father, which means we're all family. And and Greg helped us recognize that that's Everyone. That, that as a follower of Jesus, the way we see people should change because it's the way Jesus sees people. And Jesus sees every single one of us, our enemies, the people we despise, the people we love, and everywhere in between as his children, as part of his family. And so we treat them as a result. And we, when we do that, when we show this kind of care and support to everyone, everything changes. People get a glimpse of the goodness and grace of God. Now, part of the reason why we brought this kind of series up is because I believe in the church as a whole, not necessarily just here, but the church as a whole, um, in many ways we've lost our understanding of discipleship. We've made discipleship into a curriculum. We've made it into programs. We've added growth charts. We've had learning 101, 201. We've we reached these levels and we've made systems that cause us to feel as if we can judge whether somebody is a really good disciple or not. We've compartmentalized discipleship as well. It's something we do on certain days, but maybe not so much in other days. It's not something we live out at work, but we might live it out in our family. Or maybe that's too hard, so we just do it on Sundays. We compartmentalize this. But again, this way of life. This is not something we do, it's about something we are. It's how we're identified. And so that's another thing that we learned, that, that discipleship is not about doing, or about rules and requirements, um, it's about being. It's about a way of life. We've quoted this each week, Pastor Caesar Kalinowski describes and defines discipleship this way, it's the process of moving from unbelief belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of life, which I love. And and Greg has shared this um, quote as well from Esau Macaulay, and it was that Christian discipleship is about showing how the implication of the gospel spread out into a thousand directions. Greg had that image of, you've sometimes seen those pictures where you're like walking through the forest and you can see the rays of light kind of beaming through all the branches and the leaves, and it's just kind of this picture of light kind of bursting in and spreading out in every direction, that that there's something about discipleship should be showing the goodness of the gospel, reaching out into every direction. You see, a disciple, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus, not something we do or don't do, or something we switch on and off, at certain times or at certain levels of accomplishments. Rather, it's a lifelong process of growth as a way of life, and it's at the very core of our being and who we are in Christ. Acts 17, 28 says it this way, For in Jesus we live, move, and have our Before we dive in, hopefully you have some paper, something to write with, you have a Bible. If you're online, um, there's a notes section, there's also the Bible app you can use as well if you don't have a Bible. If you're here, you don't have a Bible, you didn't grab one, there's plenty back there, so make sure you grab one. I want to encourage you during this time, you can write down the verses, um, uh, you can write down questions, all those kinds of things to help you stay engaged. This morning we're going to talk about our second part of our identity, but before we do, I'm realizing that Ralph have a discipleship story to share is that correct yes are you still ready to share that okay that would be fantastic because i almost forgot and i'm so glad i did so i'm going to welcome mark we've been inviting different people who have some discipleship stories to share them with us so before we dive in i'm going to hand that over to you and let you share okay
1: A tender moment I often think of when, in church, I sat a pew next to him, and during the communion time, after he received me, he knelt for many minutes, holding his face in his different countries, we email each other, and we have a date next week to, to pray for to be others. So, that's my wonderful wife, she reminds me of one, you uh, know, of course, and my, I need mean to reset my compass, and my wonderful daughter, uh, oh. who just went out she, So they've been asking us to share about those questions. Well, I'm engaged with like the heart of his life, yeah. and in, uh, I go on a case his life in And, you know, I memorize scripture. I have saw for many years a in the children's ministry. Um, I put a place that when I have a difficult decision to make, and I need confirmation, I present scripture from memory and I praise God and I intercede for people and the nations and for things that are going to be in my day. And then I take my back and listen to God and then I sing to Him. And then in the afternoon, before I have my lights up on my phone, again, my if I pray for missionaries, I commit to for now each day of the week. And then for the evening, I have done a study where I So those are the ways that I uh, spoke to practices that help me yeah. stay close to God. But no, I, I wrestle with lots of things. one of the things I've done before the case is that if I'm sad because of the size of Christian nationalism in the U.S., Jesus is very, very sad. My Muslim right. How can God refrain from intervening in a powerful way for these people who are oppressed by these veterans, these terrorists, these stupid, these evil people who are fighting lives every day and who are leading these people to their destruction and death. How can he refrain from wolfing in a powerful way? I don't know, but John found out that there's many mysteries that we will never know how to So in the meantime, I just pray according to uh, my um, name and pray that John, God informs me with different ways And I just ask that God so take his money out um, and sweep away the aggressors.
0: But, but I think for him, and I'll be right back. identity. So we talked about the first identity being that, uh, baptized in the Father, in the name of the Father, that that makes us family. Today we're talking about our second gospel identity, what it means to be baptized in the name of the Son. I'm going to open this up with prayer, and then we're going to dive in. We're going to do a little like we did last week, do a little kind of time together, and hopefully we'll get some good... Dialogue going, so let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for meeting with us, Holy Spirit, that you're present with us as close as our very breath, and we thank you that you are work in us in whatever place we are as we go in our walk with you. And God, I just pray that as we think about our identity, that you would help us to not just again get information and content, but that it would be something that we move from unbelief to belief, that it starts to be transformative in us, and it's evident in how it comes. Wherever we're at in that process, move with us and lead us and guide us. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20 says this, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So disciples were together, some worshipped, some doubted. And that's good for us to know, because there's times when we are going to be in the exact same place, could be right now. We're worshiping Jesus, and we're carrying doubts at the same time, and that's okay. Jesus doesn't stop and say, what's wrong with you? Jesus goes up to them and, s- and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the end so last week, we went deep into that first identity that comes from being baptized in the name of the Father, which makes us our family. Today, we're looking at how we are baptized in the name of the Son, Jesus, which means we are all identified as servants. And I, and I say this right now because the words servant and slave tend to be words that get carry lots of meaning. And And we even see those words in scripture. And we're also recognizing today being Juneteenth, the day when we commemorate the end of slavery in the U.S. I think it's important for us to say that the idea of the servant we're talking about today is very different from what has happened in our country. And I think it's also important for us to know um, that we cannot fool ourselves that the work of this is not done. Um, that there's still things to be done to care for our African-American brothers and sisters and really um, people of color in general, that that's a work that is still needed. Even though we recognize this state in our country and this time that we celebrate, um, it's not done. And I believe us as followers of Jesus, as servants, that that's part of our job, and we'll get to that. That said, we're looking at how we are baptized in the name of the Son, Jesus, which means we're part of our core identity. At our very core is that we are servants, that we live, move, and have our being as Jesus, our rabbi, lived. And that was the way of a servant. Now, here's the big idea. If I was to sum it up, here's the big idea. Since we are baptized in the name of the Son, we are now set free be servants of Jesus who give tangible expression to the love of God through serving others. And Jesus, our rabbi, is the embodiment of God's love for us. Now we, God's people, are the body of Christ who express God's love for others through our acts of service. That's the big idea. To get at this, we're going to look and discuss a few biblical texts today. But the first thing I want us to remember is how the scriptures describe our Rabbi Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Son, Jesus, is the finance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The exact representation of being. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Sustaining all things there is powerful. Was. So if we want to understand God, how God lives and acts, we look to Jesus. That's what we do. Jesus is our rabbi. So we're learning how to embody this person who we have, Jesus. We have scriptures to understand that we're disciples at all times. So today we're going to look at some scriptures that describe Jesus as a servant as well as some of Jesus' teaching on this idea. So... Like we did last week, I have some groups for us, and um, I would love for you to break up into them. So, um, what I'm going to do, let's see, I'm going to start with this, I'm going with my camera, so this might confuse you from last week. So, basically, where Mark and Jane and Tom, you you back, you guys be group one, okay? You guys are going to be Philippians chapter two, five through eight. Then, Marty, Linda, you guys up here, you guys are group two, John 13, one through 17, and in the back there, Jessica, Nick, and maybe Barb, Eric, you guys can all get in on that. That's group three. That's Matthew 20, 20 through 28. And then Mark and Claire, you guys right here. And, and you too, Zach. Sorry, I didn't say anything. You look good, by the way. You should be in this group for sure. Uh, group four, you are Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Um, you can kick verse 45 in there as well. Those of you who are online, you're not out of this. You're group five. You're Luke 10. 25 through 37, our online host Dave Berge will help you, and Jessica Brady here will kind of keep an eye on that as well, make sure your thoughts get in here. So what I want you to do is look at your scripture verses, and uh, take these thoughts here that are right underneath. Knowing Jesus is our rabbi, who, who we're living to embody in every context of life, how does the text that you are assigned describe Jesus as a servant? What does Jesus teach about being a servant? And who and so some of your verses may apply to certain questions than others. So as you look at it, um, just taking part these questions, in what context should you be embodying this? Um, or, And if none of those seem to apply, you can just say, what sticks out to you with regards to serving? Okay? So break up in your groups. Take about five or so minutes. I'll, get us, I'll give us some reminders, and then we're going to come back and share some of the things we're noticing. And I'm going to hit a couple points for each one of these texts. So Break. Is is um, with each of your groups, I'm going to put you on the Sprat, I'm going to put your text up and then um, what I'd like is someone from your group to read the text and then share a little bit what you heard, okay, so that way everyone here gets to hear the text and gets to hear some of the things that stuck out, does that sound good? So let's start with group number one, Philippians chapter two, is there someone here who wants to read? volunteering at once. I'm going to hand it to Dean. That's my authoritative. Uh, I can put it up here, too, Dean, if you don't have it, if you can read that far. We'll test your eyesight. So this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. So those of you who aren't on this deck, you could write it down. This might be a good one to go back and look at with regards to these same questions. But let's hear Philippians chapter 2 and what some of the things came up for you guys. In your relationship with one another... Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who
1: being in very nature God did not consider calling God someone to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very right nature of a servant, being made in human rightness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even down on the cross. Awesome.
0: So, love to hear some of the things that came up with your text for you that you guys regards to what we're seeing either Jesus do as a servant or Jesus is making himself nothing, taking the very nature of servant. This, again, is that being versus doing. This isn't saying that Jesus was acting just like a servant, but that um, it was at his very nature um, and and made in human likeness. We're in human likeness. That's us. So it's true of us as well. And we don't serve just because we're supposed to. That's not what Jesus is doing. It's not like this is his job or that we should because it makes us look good or any of those (laughs) kind of things because like our rabbi jesus we are servants by nature and we're created in the image of a servant god meaning whether we serve or not doesn't change us at our core again this is about that idea of being versus doing but as we live into and live out our true identity as servants like our rabbi we end up being those examples, those expressions, those ambassadors, those imitators of God's love for all. And so, I appreciate you hitting the inclusiveness of this. This is everyone, and it's from here all the way to death. So that's pretty, like pretty much, we're all in there. So great. Um, it's interesting too with with this idea of um, kind of a servant and a slave. Um, in, in Colossians chapter 3, there's this list of how we behave with family, with our kids, all these things. And it actually addresses slaves even. It puts everybody in it. And it just says, whatever you do, work it out with all your heart as working for the Lord or serving the Lord, right? It's this idea that it doesn't matter the situation that you're in. It doesn't matter whatever relational connection you're having. We have to be doing it for the glory of God as servants, as our nature. That leads us to text number two, which is this group right here, correct? Okay, so this is John chapter 13, 1 through 17. So can someone from that group read and share a little bit what you guys came up with? Linda? Linda? (laughs) All right, I will put the text up here as well. Again, this is John 13, 1 through 17.
2: It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having left his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already contacted Judas, the son of Simon, the Pharisee, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. not just my feet, but my hands and my hands as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed our feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do what I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Awesome. So we talked a bit about the context, which that Jesus was in relationship with all of them. And when he was talking specifically to Peter, and then at the end when he's talking to everyone, he uh, knows them very well, and he knows what's, well, I don't know how much he knows it's going to happen, but he knows that something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so he is giving them, um, again and again, he's saying, get ready for something. Get ready, get ready, you need to know this for the future. Um, but anyway, it comes out of a place of context of uh, context of relationship. He doesn't say, Hello, my name is Jesus. I am now going to last lead. Right. He's always like hanging with them and he knows them and he's walking with them and being with them for three hours. So he knows them. Yeah. Marty mentioned that he if he knows who's gonna betray him, mm-hmm. then this is a really end is of his because you could be very angry or upset right. yeah. at that person or and if you and uh, Kirsten pointed out to that, she's already re- always read it as I know that Judas Iscariot is going to betray me. But she suddenly added in her mind, I also know that Peter is going to betray me. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph pointed out that someone was supposed to wash the before the meal, mm-hmm. and nobody did that, mm-hmm. and probably not the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Someone else was supposed to step up and do that, and no one did it. And then the meal ends, and then he does that. So there's probably embarrassment and, yeah. and discomfort. And Peter says, you can't wash my feet. And all this stuff. So there's just a lot going on. Um, and all in the context of the relationship and all in the context of, death of uh not so clear that in the uh, scripture. Sure. So I, I think I got everything.
0: Okay. Awesome. Great job. Really appreciate it. in this text, um, in, in the section, there's verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his clothes, uh, his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around them. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to do this. So this sounds very similar to that same idea of being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to take advantage. So he acknowledges, I know all these things. Only God can know all these things. And yet chooses to live out servant nature by serving these people. And again, they're not just the best friends. They're people people that are going to um, denounce his name multiple times. The people are going to betray him. Um, and still chooses to serve in one of the most humbling ways you can do in the day. Um, thank you very much for sharing that. So, I want to get to our next group. Um, that's in the back, correct? That's Philippians chapter 20, 20 through 28. I'm getting my stuff in this morning. No, did the wrong one. So did Matthew. Uh, so did Matthew. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah. What did, did I say? got it. That's a, that's a long okay. day. <laughs> okay.
2: Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant, that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand, and the other at your left right hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, man." To them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These blessings belong to those who have, um, for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead," servant, And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of God will not come to be served, but to serve and to give us life as a ransom for many. Okay. Mm. Okay. What did we say? <laughs> it's been a while. It's
0: a while. What you got? Is something Jesus is teaching about service? If there's something there, is there something Jesus is giving us an example of with regards to service? Something that sticks out, or just something straight up that sticks out for you? Yeah, I mean
2: just you know, um, to be a servant, it, it means to serve. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: So, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, far as I could say it's not like October 1 you know, the number one. Sure. Which is number one.
0: Like totally. yeah, number one. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so no, mm-hmm. no Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, and maybe yeah. another way to say it. When we're choosing to follow a particular rabbi and embody, This is how it looks, then it's going to look different, right? It would look different from a different rabbi that might say, no, the rabbi thinks this rabbi thinks it's going to look this way. But this example is one where it goes very much against just the way of the world in general, right? And this is not even the, this, one, this story, it's like the mom is saying, hey, can you get my kids up there? How many of our parents want us to get our kids to the best place, right? Um, but there's other stories where it's just the two of them are just like, get it. I want to be on the right, I want to be on the left. We're well, uh, that's part of our self. We want to be in that spot. And so it's a great example, like you said, of just finding ourselves, realizing that what we're being asked to live out is going to look different. The question then becomes, if we're going to embody, like if we believe this, right, the question of moving from unbelief to belief, it's not enough to just think, oh, this is a great idea. Oh, this is going to look different. Do I really believe it? And am I Im- embodied? to be thinking about as disciples. Okay, text number four. Zach, thank you so much. You. I'll get your text up here as well. <coughs> this is Matthew 25, 34 through 40.
1: Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your Stranger. invited me. I a am mm-hmm. sick and in a black I'm in prison and you Whatever you did for one of the least of these, one of the least of these, one of the least of them for me. Awesome.
0: Cool. So what are some things that stuck out for you guys in this section?
2: If I take this little life, I'm greatly short. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to feel bad about who I am, so that's why I sometimes I am not care about the Bible. Mm-hmm. But um, what I definitely went to immediately was how I'm not going to go to visit prisoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have good judgments about people who <laughs> do crime. Mm-hmm. I have all my feelings about people that would be considered a least bad, and I mm-hmm. just want to get away. I mean, that's, that's the best at this point I feel like yeah. I can do
0: that's really good <laughs> so I really want you to know I appreciate your honesty the reality is none of us can do this by ourselves right um, this is a rabbi giving us some instruction and the thing that's really important for us to see um, is we can take verses like this and take them to extremes Did Jesus stop at every single human being that came into his context and process something with them? No. There were situations that caused him to pause, and he had an opportunity to serve. Um, On the cross, yes, everyone is served. Um, But as a disciple of Christ, what this is inviting us to do is to tap to our first identity, which is family. In fact, Jesus' words even say, the least of these brothers and sisters, everyone you see is family. And Jesus is saying, when you go about your day, I want you to look around. I want you to see people as your family. And I want you to be open to the opportunities that may come for you to serve. So what we do then is we consider where we are. And you are in different places than me in my day-to-day in your neighborhoods, and wherever you go. And the invitation is where you have been placed, how do you serve? You cannot serve everyone. But are there people who are hungry, who aren't being fed? Are there people who need clothes? Are there people who are broken and are having health issues? Are there people who are disconnected relationally and need care? Are there captives that need to be set free? This morning when we got to church, there was a person without a home, sleeping under our tree. That's someone we have an opportunity to to care for. We bring them water. We check to see if they're okay. Right? Those kinds of things. We always have somebody under that tree. That was this morning. And there's other opportunities that come about. And the idea isn't that we have to register whether we did this perfectly every single day, and I'm hoping you hear this. The way Jesus is presenting this is not intended for us to feel guilty. It's intended to invite us into an as-we-go experience of learning what it means to be Christ's ambassadors. And it's not something that just happens. It's not something we do perfectly every single day. We will never do this perfectly, this side of heaven. And so, it's just an invitation for us how to see our world and respond to those in our world in a different way. The reason why Jesus says this is because what Jesus' ultimate hope is that we are the what life in the kingdom of God is, where we are caring for one another, we're sharing with other, where everyone's needs are met. If you look at the beginning of the church, what did the church do? They gathered together to pray, and they're sharing everything they have with one another because the picture of the church is that everyone is taken care of. And that's what we're invited to in our, all of our unique situations and circumstances. How do we care for people? And those are our relational experiences that we're providing tangible expressions of love. So that's the idea. So I appreciate you sharing that line, and, and I hope everyone hears this. The idea of these teachings is never Jesus' way to make us feel incapable. In fact, that's why we're called his disciples, because Jesus sees us as his children and sees us as capable of doing this. And thank God we have God's grace and Holy Spirit to help us with this as well. Um, I want to I be aware of time. We have our last group, which is our group um, online, and I know they've been engaging stuff. Um, so, Jessica, can you, are you able to, do you want to read the text for us?
2: Yeah. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to Test. Jesus, teach us, what must I do to have eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him up his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Took out two and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and be likewise. who are saying, Jesus is a teacher, so he has a Sabbath to his followers. He teaches that anyone who finds themselves in a position to help someone is a servant, and should serve. Other mm-hmm. um, folks are saying, we see a need that been reaching out to meet that need. The go and do likewise line points to the example of the story, just to help, no matter your right status or ability, and that that's not always easy. right. Um, he being a servant, the personal,
0: uh, the person who is attacked by the Bible, giving him today, bandaging his wounds, and taking care of him. And what Jesus says, while the persecuted. Awesome. Do you mind just turning that off? Yeah. Thank you, online crew. Appreciate your participation in this while, and hopefully you've been able to hear. This story is a great one because it's, again, tapped into this idea that just is giving an example of someone who's just super rocking and just in the process, sees a need and chose to serve in that moment. Other people had the same opportunity and didn't serve. It's a picture of how Jesus lived. Someone touches the back of his cloak, or he strikes up a conversation with someone at the well, or he notices people are hungry and finds a way to provide food, or sees someone who's blind, who needs healing and heals them, or is possessed and frees them. These are all opportunities going about, as he went, opportunities came. And those situations come about, and he looks, how, how can I enter into this? Every one of these interactions is rooted in love. Seeing the person as family, a child of God. And so this example teaches us about how Jesus sees and responds to everyone out of love. Or to say it another way, if we don't see others the way Jesus sees them, with unconditional love as our family, then this is going to be something we struggle with. And that's okay. We all say it. It's not easy. It's because we haven't completely moved from unbelief to belief in this. There's people that we see, and we have a hard time believing they're family. We have a hard time believing we should love them the same way we love others. That's part of our discipleship journey. And it's not something that just happens because we got this nice teaching, and now we're going to be experts at it. But it's something for us to own, and live, and try, and work at, to be those ambassadors for Jesus. C.E. Kalinowski, the person we used to quote before, gives this word, he describes this servant lifestyle of Jesus um, that we are to embody as the, he calls it the W3 lifestyle. Serving anyone God brings into our lives with whatever needs doing, whenever it is needed, and wherever it which sounds really nice and it's got all these W's, but it sounds overwhelming, right? Like that's what Lynn said. It sounds overwhelming, um, but it's tied to our identity. And uh, if we are living as family of servants, it means that when you or I see a need or arises, we need to know that it's not always going to be our job to be the one to do the serving. see an opportunity, and it's not you to do, but you call your other family members to come and help. Maybe they're the ones they're going to come to, but maybe sometimes it takes the entire church because there's a need, and it's not something that one person can make happen. This is why the church is described as the body having many members, and how each and every body part is vital to the life of the body. So for example, Eric and Barb Merkling House will contact me and be like, "Rich, something needs to be done with the front yard," and they will come and do volunteer to care for and serve and clean up the property. Do I have the ability to do it? Yes. Do I see the need? Yes. Do I do the take care of the need? No. Um, somebody else in this body does and does a great job, and they're not able to do all of it. So then we plan a work day where we try to get a bunch of people to address the need. Right? Our dinner church is a perfect example. It's not hard for us to see the need that there are people in our community that don't have food and relational connection. Can one person meet everybody's needs? No. Which is why we have our dinner church. Does our dinner church meet everybody's needs? No. That's why there's 25 dinner churches throughout our city. Are those meeting everybody's needs? No. But does that mean we don't do something about it? No. And so there's times when the need is there, and maybe our thing is we see it. We pray about it. We try to figure out, can, is this something I can do? Is there someone else in the family that can help us do this? Greg is serving at all that dance. They didn't ask me to be the MC, right? Um, I know there's a need, but they, they have a relational connection with Greg. He's in there every week, multiple times a week, so he has an opportunity that connects to his situation and circumstance. The future neighborhood play park that's just down the street that we've helped care for. Uh, we've done some great things to clean it up, to provide benches, to allow for community to happen, to fix holes. Different um, farms. Look for ways to do it. Northwest Little League says, we got this group of 200 uh, coaches, and we need a place to get them all together. Can we do it here? We say, yeah, you can use this space, right? It could be as simple as buying groceries for your neighbor who's who's very old and during pandemic couldn't get out. And I'm just going to tell you my one example. Gladdy was on a trip to California this last weekend, and... Uh, Right before they were getting to head back to the airport, there's 16, 16 year old girls in these two large vans. And about an hour before they're heading to the airport, they're walking around San Francisco. And both vans are broken into, and in everybody's luggage, and everybody's soccer gear, and everybody's bags are stolen. Everything. Except for the phones, because, of course, kids. all the homework that my daughter had been doing over the weekend, preparing for her finals, all was all gone. Thankfully, uh, at, can you imagine the emotion of all those 16-year-old girls freaking out right now? I, I, it was impossible to understand my daughter. But anyways, what was amazing is at some point, after they're all at the airport, they have food vouchers, no one's got money, no one's got whatever, some person calls me from San Francisco and says, I think I just found your suitcase on the side of the road. And of all the suitcases, it happened to be my daughter's. Uh, and basically everything was in it. So I paid for an Uber to go pick it up and bring it to the airport. So it got there in time. But that was cool. That person was rocking. and saw a suitcase and was like, hmm, I don't think that's supposed to be there. Right? And decided to actually move on it and call it huge blessing. It was mostly just clothes, but it had all kinds of stuff, right? Then, we get home, and two days later, another person calls. We found four backpacks, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, uh, one of those was my daughter's. It actually had some of her homework in it, even. Um, but these people, I don't know if they're Christians. I don't know where they are, but at their core, faced with an opportunity that they could enter into to care and serve somebody. And they did. And whether or not they are Christians or not, they were an example of love and service. And I remember telling the guy, you're my good Samaritan. And the guy was like, what does that mean? And I was like, well, it's a story in the Bible where this person takes care of someone who's in need on the side of the road. Nobody else would do it. And they did it and just you didn't have any relational connections whatsoever and you did it, and uh, you did that for me. Right? I just got to acknowledge them living out the image of God, whether they have know Jesus or not. was cool. And that's what happens when we do this, when we live into our gospel identity and live it out. People are amazed. And it blesses people. And people are drawn into this kind of life because it's not the way of the world. With that, Father, help us move from unbelief to belief in our gospel identity. That serving others wouldn't come out of a doing mentality with odd motives. Rather, help us serve all out of our very being and out of our true gospel identity. May we open ourselves up to serve our, as if everyone is part of our family just like Jesus did. And Holy Spirit, help us to live, move, and have our being in Christ that we may all card questions up but I just know we're out of time so what I'm gonna do is if you want you can scan um, scan take a picture you name it but I'm just gonna give up here and we're gonna play a song as a song of response so I invite you just to enter into that however you feel and we'll just let this be our kind of prayerful response.